Hello, AJT Podcast listeners. My name is Daniel Galvez. I'm a transplant surgeon at the University of Tennessee Medical Center. I'm one of the AJT Editorial Fellows this year. On this episode of our specialty podcast series, we will be talking about the implications the new distance-based kidney allocation system has had over patients, transplant centers, and organ procurement organizations. In March of 2021, a new iteration of the kidney allocation system was implemented. It eliminated the 57 donation service areas and replaced it with a distance-based allocation system, giving higher priority to patients listed at centers within 250 nautical mile circles relative to the donor hospital. The ultimate goal of this change was to eliminate the geographic disparities in waiting time observed since the implementation of the kidney allocation system in 2014. It has been two years since the implementation of this new allocation system. And joining us today to talk about this are Dr. Joel Adler, who's an assistant professor of surgery at Dell Medical School at the University of Texas in Austin. Dr. Adler has published on the subject even before the new allocation system went into effect in March of 2021. And we also have Dr. John Friedwald, who's a professor of medicine and surgery at Northwestern University, Fiber School of Medicine. Dr. Friedwald, I had the pleasure of working with you during my fellowship and experienced the system change with you in the trenches. Played a critical role at Northwestern anticipating and preparing for this new allocation system. And I look forward to hearing from your experience during those times. I think uh, the perfect introduction would be to talk about Dr. Adler's publication in uh, 2020 in AJT, which was a viewpoint in the implications and unintended consequences we would see with this change. Can you give us an overview of this manuscript? Sure. Thanks for the question and, and the opportunity to be on the podcast. You know, as is well known and described, the step to CAS 250 was really an intermediate one on the way to ultimately the continuous distribution. And then kind of as this was going on as a supplement to the other published material and educational outreach from UNOS and the OPTN about the change, we set out to characterize what the system would actually look like. And while broader sharing of organs is certainly not unique to kidney and pancreas transplant, the method of organ transport and ultimately the tolerance of cold ischemia time is really markedly different than heart, lung, and liver. And since placement generally doesn't happen until after cross-clamp, and you combine that with so many more kidney programs and transplants overall that are done, the logistics of this particular change to broader distribution is really much more complex than before. So what we did was we simply geocoded all the donor hospitals and the transplant centers, built out all the 250 nautical mile circles to measure what those things would be like and estimate what some of the changes that you would find are. So as an example, in the old DSA-based system, the median number of transplant centers local to a donor hospital, meaning how many were generally within their all OPOs, was five, with a range of one to 15. After the circles came into effect, that median became 23 hospitals with a maximum of 73. In the older system, centers work with them, you know, the normal one OPO on the local metron, and that median number actually increased to nine different OPOs for every transplant center in the country, with one transplant center now having 18 different OPOs with which they possibly could share a donor hospital. So, you know, from this, you'd expect a number of different consequences, some of which were anticipated and, and somewhat intentional, and several that were, of course, uh, hope not to occur, but perhaps also anticipated. First, you'd expect to see a significant number more offers as OPOs and transplant centers just try to figure out how to navigate the new relationships. The local matron complexity obviously changed with longer wait time OPOs appearing much higher on OPOs of adjacent of patients on adjacent OPOs with shorter wait times. An example of this was certainly in the Northeast. 
And other uses that were also expected were the number of centers prior to acceptance of a kidney, meaning it just take longer and be a bit harder to place them. An increase in non-utilized organs or discards, an increase in the number of out-of-sequence allocations, and then presumably an increase in uh, both cold ischemia time and likely uh, delayed graft function attached with that. When you talk about increased cold ischemia and rates of delayed graft function, do we have specific data on this in terms of how long uh, cold ischemia and how much the rate of DGF has increased? The numbers that you'll see published in the interim report from the OPTN a year in was that um, cold ischemia time increased from a median of about 17 to 19 hours for deceased donor kidney transplant and DGF somewhere in the range of about 28 to 31 percent. What are some of the operational challenges you have experienced in your specific center after the implementation? Yeah, thanks. And again, thanks for the opportunity to be on the podcast. Um, You know, we saw almost overnight more than a doubling of the number of organ offers we were getting. And that was obviously the most immediate effect. What came along with that were a lot of operational changes to be able to, number one, field and handle all those offers. We had been preparing for this in terms of being ready to, we were a center that did not go on a uh, virtual cross match for a lot of our transplants. And we realized that with this new complexity, we would have to do that. And so that's one of the things we prepared for in the year or so leading up to the implementation, uh, which got us ready for that. But I think the immediate thing was the number of offers. And the second thing I think, and it's important, and this was uh, Dr. Adler mentioned this a little bit, was the number of different OPOs and with which we were interacting on a frequent basis. And, you know, that you know, we had our local OPO and we were kind of like an old married couple. We knew each other. We knew what we liked. We knew, you know, when we wanted a biopsy, when we wanted to pump. And suddenly now we're working with, and I've lost count, but, you know, almost a dozen OPOs and every one of them is different. And so the lack of standardization of organ allocation practices became readily apparent to us um, in dealing with this many uh, OPOs. Did this change the workflow in terms of how the program reviewed offers with the coordinators, uh, nephrologists, surgeons at all? I can say for us, it completely turned things on its head. Yeah, we used to take a week of organ offers at a time uh, on call, and we had to switch to a pretty much a once one day call because we were up almost all night every night taking organ offers. So that was number one. Number two is, yes, we had to expand our organ call staff and actually outsource that to a to a whole separate team from our coordinators that were previously taking calls. So it required addition of staff at the center. It, it, it required a whole different call schedule and more frequent call for us to be able to handle the offer. So yes, it was a, a pretty radical change, at least at our center. At the time of the allocation change, I was at my prior institution, which is Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And so I would say the thing that we noticed most up front was we were in the spot of the centers where um, the New York OPOs in particular had a much longer wait time. And so suddenly our patients, you know, who were higher up on the list were, you know, 100, 200 down on the initial match sequence. And so we had to think carefully about focusing a lot on making sure that people really were ready when we thought they were ready, right? Part of our focus had to be a little bit more on waitlist management. And I think we also had to rethink if we were or weren't going to utilize any of the organ offer filters to make sure that we were getting kidneys that were reasonable, right? Because one thing that was happening for us was with the way we were initially set going into it is we were getting offers at sequence 6,000 almost and kidneys that were, you know, 30 hours cold and they were being offered. And that, 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 that triggers work, right? But work that clearly isn't going to result in a transplant at that point. And so to balance out a little bit of the additional organ offer work, we at least had to start thinking about how we could um, narrow those filters and, and make that experience better so that not only could the providers take care of it, but that we could just do what we're all here to do, right? Which is to get, you know, organs into, into our patients. 
comes to mind too is, um, you know, we know OPOs can allocate organs out of sequence, particularly when trying to allocate high KDPI organs. Um, are we seeing a higher trend with open offers with this new kidney allocation system? I can I can start anecdotally and say absolutely. We've seen a lot more open offers. Um, you know, and I there are a lot of opinions about open offers, and I I have a few. Um, I do think that it is a great way to uh, salvage what may be an organ that's going to be discarded and get it transplanted. It raises some important insights into our allocation policies in general and how we do things currently, how many patients and, and centers pass on offers that they probably wouldn't take. And it magnifies the importance of using filters, potentially using bypass filters for centers that would never use a certain type of organ and haven't in a long time. Um, I think we need to get, you know, it, it we've talked about it for a long time, and I think it, it really highlights the fact that we need to get there much more quickly to make the make the system more efficient and, and reduce discards. But in the meantime, I think it is a good workaround. Obviously, I think the MPSC needs to track it and follow it and see and make sure it's being done in a, in a, in a fair and equitable way. But at the end of the day, um, as the cold time starts to accumulate, you need to get those organs placed. And so we have seen that and we've been the beneficiary of some of those open offers. So that's that's my opinion on that. I would say it's really hard to track the number of open offers that actually happen just from a kind of an analytic perspective, unless it's given straight to the MPSC and reported as such. You can find that, identify that in the match run data uh, pre the initiation of CAS 250, Kristen King and the rest of the group at Columbia had done some work on the way open offers are being used, as best you can tell from match run data. And I think they raised the point that I think Dr. Fearwell got to a little bit too, is that it's a, it's a, it's a marker of system failure for the most part when that happens, because otherwise we haven't done it the right way, because why are we trying to get organs to folks where we otherwise could use them? But also depending how often it happens and, and who's the beneficiary of it, you know, you, you run the risk of worsening the disparities that already exist in the system. And so that's the other kind of the flip side of that. So I think that at least from what Kristen had published that happened, not super frequently, but it did. I can tell you that while it's under revisions right now, that at least preliminarily from using the same methodology that Kristen did, that it certainly has gone up in a measurable way uh, since the induction of CAS 250. Yeah, I think it's really important to, you know, as uh, you know, prepares a change and move towards the continuous uh, allocation system. I think this is a really important subject to pay attention in because it needs to be regulated. It needs to be monitored somehow, right? And it's uh, right now, I think, you know, the way OPOs uh, do it is very OPO dependent. There's no real rules and regulations. So I think that's going to be critical asking with a new allocation system. Now, switching gears a little bit, um, Dr. Lather, you briefly mentioned the aspect of organ discard rates and how that is a critical subject that, you know, everyone is aware is a problem and rates just keep going up. Now, Dr. Friedwald, you, you published recently last year on the subject. If you can give us your take on the association between the higher discard rate. We've been looking at the, the problem of organ discards for a while now and studying it. And, and one of the things we found recently and published was obviously, and, and maybe not surprising, that it's very tightly uh, linked with the increase in cold ischemic time across all organs, but particularly for you know, what we would consider high KDPI or higher risk organs. And so, you know, when you implement a system that's going to increase complexity and increase cold time, it, it stands to reason that you're going to increase the number of discards. And that's what we've seen with this new system. And, you know, I, I always 
when I talk about kidney allocation policy, I always say that, you know, there are a number of competing interests and we always have to think about that. And obviously discards is something that the, the entire community is very focused on right now. Equity is also very important. And so, you know, I think it's going to be important in the balance to look and see how the trade-offs have been with this new system. Have we really increased equity to, in, equity to organs based on geography? And what's the trade-off for that in potential discards? And I, I do think that we are we have a number of tools and levers left to pull that can make that better. You know, one obvious thing is with open offers, you can choose the patient you want for that kidney. And, you know, fil the filters that are currently available, we often find that you know, we, although we put filters in place, there are still things about an organ that we would say, well, it's not right for this person. And, you know, coming from a, a center that's been in a multi-center OPO, right? We have seven other kidney programs in our in our OPO historically. And so we never could do that. You know, if you pass for one person that was going across town to the other center, and there are a lot of centers that operated as single center OPOs for a long time and could do exactly that. And so for me, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I can finally do what I think is the ideal organ recipient matching uh, with an open offer. And it'd be great to be able to do that using filters in a more trackable way. So anyway, it just uh, it's a change in practice that we see, but also it highlights some of the deficiencies of the, the current filter system and a way to improve upon that. I agree entirely with that, Dr. that the discard problem is, is a hard one. Is obviously a lot of intense focus, right, in the last couple of years with the NASM report in different OPO-based metrics and the like. And I, the other part, the other problem we have too is we're evaluating the policy, talking about one that really is the intermediate step before the next one that's really meant to try to minimize the geographic disparity and, and really hopefully focus the lists and, and direct the community's attention towards kind of getting maybe not the right organ into the exact right person, but at least, you know, every organ into like a very appropriate candidate every time. And whether it's at your center level or against somebody else across town and under Friedewald's case, who happens to have the recipient who might be a little bit more appropriate for that. I mean, anything like that is certainly an ideal thing. It's, it's just kind of a consequence of the, you know, the, the length of time in which it takes to make these big changes and then everything else that happens around it. And honestly, back to Dr. Friedewald's initial point, is all of the competing interests that play into the organ allocation process. All right. And as the last question of the day, which is probably one of the most important ones, as you know, and the OPTN prepared to propose a point-based continuous distribution model, eliminating hard boundaries uh, classifications by considering all relevant attributes and factors together with a predefined weight. Do you think this will exacerbate the unintended consequences seen by CAS 250? I'll, I'll take the first swing at that. I, I think we're all very excited about the possibility of, you know, continuous distribution and, and weighting factors. I think one of the things that one of the takeaways from the, this initial experiment has been that efficiency is really important and distance and whether it's distance or how we measure distance, whether it's efficient transportation, et cetera, needs to be weighed probably pretty heavily if we're worried about organ discard. And so there may be a better recipient, but that closer recipient is more likely to accept and transplant that organ. And that may be what the system has to eventually accomplish. And that's going to be hard to do, to be honest. But I think uh, I think we've learned from this that cold ischemic time is a real problem. Um, discards are a real problem. And at the end of the day, perfect can be the enemy of good. And, and getting a lot of transplants done and more transplants done is going to be good for our patients. So I'm excited to be part of the conversation in this because I think it's really important that the community give feedback from our experience on the ground. And as much as we try to do filters and everything else, at the end of the day, we still end up passing on organs for all sorts of reasons for patients, patient-specific, donor-specific, et cetera. And so the system has to have some flexibility in it to be able to get those organs to another person quickly. 
So that needs to be remembered as well. I agree. I, I remain optimistic that that because we made uh, the, an intermediate step before getting to continuous distribution, that we're actually getting a really good opportunity to learn more about it and kind of how we can respond and do a better job of that in the kidney community. You know, long very recently switched over to continuous distribution. And so far, things seem okay. I mean, it feels strange, but it's still a rank order list and you can proceed down and decide yes or no if you want a lung. But the big difference, and this gets back to the efficiency part, is most of that, in, well, that's generally all handled pre-cross-clamp, right? So that's that's a very different allocation process than how most deceased under kidneys go. And especially now that we are, that there's no longer a single center OPO for anybody, since it all happens after organs come out, it, it just becomes a bigger challenge and a logistical piece. And Figuring out what that balance is is going to be tricky, but my hope, of course, and I, I think that everybody shares that, is the the flexibility that will be built into the system, uh, or the ability to to make tweaks and changes around these ideas in a, with a much shorter time horizon, um, gives me a lot of hope that that this will will help with the number of the problems that we've been discussing today. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I've enjoyed the discussion. Thank you to the AJT podcast listeners, and have a great one. The opinions of the hosts of the show do not necessarily reflect those of the American Journal of Transplantation. For AJT highlights, you can find us online at amjtransplant.com. That's amjtransplant.com. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 